Welcome to Your Money Story. I'm Dawn Thomas, a mother of three, financial advisor by day, and a PhD candidate studying the experience of Generation Z with the superannuation system. This podcast provides a platform for stories that are underrepresented. Everyone's money story is unique. My guests are people who conduct their lives with purpose, authenticity, and are not afraid of being different. They stand out within their industries for being themselves. I hope their journeys inspire you to harness your own gifts and talents. I'm a believer of living your truth each day. Let's change how the story ends. We acknowledge the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation as the traditional custodians of this country and its waters and where this podcast is recorded on, stands on Noongar country. We pay our respects to Noongar elders, past and present, and acknowledge their wisdom and advice. The information discussed in this podcast does not take into account your personal and financial objectives and situation. Before acting on any information discussed here, you should consider its appropriateness, having regard to your objectives, needs, and financial situation. This episode, Toto Tin, principal at Bennett & Co and leader in the commercial law space, shares her views on what causes difficult commercial disputes. Often, there has been long-standing trust between commercial or business partner, and that trust breaks down over time due to various reasons. Toto feels that knowledge is key to protecting your position within a commercial agreement. Even if financials and numbers are not your strong suit, she suggests getting an independent professional to take you through your business position. This will not only give you the confidence that your business is set up well for all parties, but it can minimise future problems. Toto worked at the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, where she gained experience in regulatory investigations, advised on financial services laws, and managed enforcement actions against financial service providers. This work at ASIC saw her and her team receive an Australia Day Medal in 2012. She was born in Burma and spent some time in Malaysia before coming to Australia. She shares how this has shaped her career and money story. Welcome to the Your Money Story podcast. I was so delighted to have you on today. Thank you, my pleasure. Now, you've said that you've, you were born in Burma, had some time in Malaysia, and then ended up um, with most of your life in Australia. How has that journey actually shaped the way you view money? Yeah, so look, I mean, reflecting on that, I thought, you know, one of my, I suppose one of my earliest memories about, about what money could be used for was when, when one of the big banks visited my um, primary school. Uh, this was in, in Malaysia and, and the bank came to give piggy banks to all of the students and I think it was Standard Chartered at the time. Um, and we had a choice of either um, a Mickey Mouse or a Donald Duck um, piggy bank. Uh, and I remember I really wanted Mickey Mouse, but they had run out of the Mickey Mouse piggy banks. Um, and they said I had, had to wait for the next day so they could get more supplies from, from, from the bank. So, look, I, I patiently waited and finally got, got my Mickey Mouse um, piggy bank. Um, after that, I was on a mission to make sure that, that the Mickey Mouse um, was, was, was well fed. But look, in other words, I was prepared to wait for what I really wanted. Uh, and I also enjoyed the experience of collecting and saving money in its you know, most basic form, you know, coins. Mm. You know, in terms of other influences growing up, most of my family members were, were in professions or earning salaries. So it meant that in terms of values, education was, was you know, very important um, so that you too could one day earn a salary and, um, and fend for yourself as well as having mm-hmm. 
privilege of being able to help others. Um, yes. Borrowing from other people was always strongly discouraged. Um, and, you know, you were basically expected not to stray too far from that course. So, you know, a fairly conventional, um, cautious, you know, sort of live within your means. I guess what we can both understand as well is that Asian upbringing in the past around money, right? The money attitudes of, of being quite pragmatic as well. And that's quite woven into not just how you spend your money, but even the kind of jobs you pursue. And sometimes there's this debate within the Asian community about, about the priorities between passion and being yeah. pragmatic. You know, so for yourself, what kind of influence that balance that you struck moving forward between being pragmatic and being able to pursue your passions? Because obviously you're passionate about what you do right now. Yeah, so I think it's, I mean, to take, I think, you know, extreme examples, you would, you know, you'd sometimes say that, oh, well, you know, Asian parents may say, oh, well, you know, my child's only either going to study medicine, engineering, you know, mm. or accounting, those sorts of, but that that's it. And, you know, God forbid that they, you know, go into um, acting or, or, be, <laughs> or some, something like that. Um, but I think um, I, I think for myself, it's been a balance of what I enjoyed at school as well. So things like you know, reading, language, English, um, uh, analytical type topics. So things like that, you know, were, were issues or were, were sorry were subjects that appealed um, to me in that sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't that you know I'd known I'd always wanted to. Um, practice law, for example, but it's um, it, it came in the sense of enjoyment of subjects and enjoyment of certain things that I studied um, through that and then um, what it might actually be like to work in, in a particular area because often um, it's usually the case that studying something is quite different from the practice of something. Mm-hmm. And there you get kind of people saying, well, I studied that, I thought this is what it would be like, but it wasn't. And that's where you then reflect and decide, well, maybe this is not for me and I should look at other options. And I think that's certainly, that's not to be um, discouraged. I think that's really self-awareness as well. So I think that that's important. Like both are kind of needed, right? To That passion is for longevity of being able to do um, your job, you know, the thing that is, is making money for you perhaps. Um, and, and I found personally, like I did media studies and mass communication because I thought that was my passion. And then reality set in when I graduated, <laughs> was that it wasn't very easy to find a job. And yeah. so those, those, that pragmatic sense that I didn't know was so embedded in my background came in and then I went, okay, let me just see whether I could find a big institution find out where I could be of use and then you know, try and get that security with finances yeah. and financial planning happen. Um, you know, you talked about the fact that you had a, like natural skill set and interests and it wasn't the initial plan maybe to set out as being a lawyer. And now you're in commercial law. I mean, yeah. how, how did that happen? How did that ethical fit happen over time? So I suspect also my, in terms of you know, pragmatism, I mean, I think, what, the point that you raised there. I mean, I my initial degree when I first went to university was uh, was commerce, and I thought, okay, and I majored in accounting and finance because at that time, mm. I thought, yeah, pragmatically, this might be the area to, um, you know, everyone needs to know how to read financial statements, and uh, this will always be, you know, used in, you know, <laughs> industry. So I did. I, I studied commerce. I studied accounting and 
finance and and after that I wasn't sure like you know do I want to be an, an accountant and I did work as an auditor for about a year and a half okay. um, and after that I did sort of reflect on well yeah it's it might not necessarily be, be for me um, and I had I had also finished a law degree after I did my commerce degree but I wow. suppose I was a little slightly unclear as to whether I wanted to go through the accounting or the law path first and I started with accounting mm. uh, but look I think that experience was still very um, very useful because as I said you'll always you know need to know how to how to read financial um, statements it's mm. uh, particularly in commercial disputes you know what went wrong and I think the first thing you look at are you know financial um, reports and things like that so so which is why I thought you know reading, analysing financial reports, the fact that I studied accounting and also worked briefly as an auditor was all very useful skills to have to, um, uh, to practice in commercial law. But I had, I had also enjoyed all of the um, you know, commercial um, or company law units at, at law school. Um, I also knew that I really didn't fancy dealing in areas like uh, family or criminal law um, where you know, if you're not careful, um, those areas can be emotionally quite exhausting. Yes. And sometimes you're dealing with quite distressing, um, distressing mm. personal circumstances as well. It, it sounds like, right, for a number of us that have gone through our journeys is that you become a bit more aware of where you're best suited. Uh, and that's not to say that you're not up for a challenge, but you're also kind of using all your experiences in the past and bringing it forward to where you are. So I, I really like what you said about you know, even though you had that time in auditing and things like that, it was not like a wasted time. It, it really enhanced where you were going to end up now to kind of all of us to reflect on. I suppose there's no, there's no wasted year, right? <laughs> even if you're not in the right spot right now, um, it, it's going to prepare you for that step where maybe you find your, your fit. I've spoken to um, a family lawyer and, and she was saying that, that what drives her to it, that it's a very, it's a very, intimate interaction you're having with the client because you're seeing them in a very vulnerable spot, right? But, and, and you just mentioned before that, you know, you've got to be careful with, with criminal law and family law because it could, you could get yourself into a, a spot where you could be emotionally exhausted. But what you're seeing as well is that you're helping clients when they're actually in dispute phase. That, that's not exactly a, a relaxing right. stage for someone as well. So you are also taking on someone's stress and anxiety, um, you know, maybe anger, things like that. I mean, how, how do you cope with that then? Yeah, so look, at the, at the end of the day, you're right. And I think that's, that's um, you know, certainly very um, true to say that sometimes these disputes become very personal to someone, even though it's, you know, you, cl- you know, class it as a commercial dispute because there's been a breach of a contract or someone sues, mm. someone didn't pay someone money that they were meant to under an agreement. Um, sometimes very personal because particularly, for example, if it's, it's a family related dispute. So, so when it becomes quite close to, you know, to their hearts and becomes, takes on that, you know, more emotional qualities, it becomes harder because then, Mm. then, um, you know, your, your job isn't really just, you know, to give advice. You're almost like a counselor in that sense. Yes. Um, And you need to, I suppose, you know, you know, listen to where they're coming from as well, because um, mm. it may be that they don't really have anyone else that they, you know, express all of their um, grief, grief to. So in that sense, it's said, you know, because we come in looking at disputes, um, you're right, and that sometimes where, you know, the disputes become personal, where there's emotions involved, 
you know, you've got to genuinely and sincerely want to be in a position to um, advise and counsel them for what's in their best interests. Um, yeah. But at the same time, um, you've also got to be careful that, all right, um, you, you know, you also need to um, detach from that. So, you know, don't don't bring your job home with you. So you don't really want to go to a, you know, a social function and tell all your friends that, oh, this is what I mm. <laughs> not you know the last thing that they they want to hear about um so as long as you know you can sort of switch off after that so you know be it you know play a sport watch a movie you know watch a show read a book yeah i think that's all very important to get that balance otherwise it can be quite um you know it can be quite intense and can be quite um unbalanced if if you are sort of living through that 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 client's emotions i think Mm hear them out, but you don't have to take it on. You know, as lawyers, maybe in a different areas, it's almost like you have to be the the voice of reason through the whole process. It may be where the most natural thing for the people involved, it's not to be rational, it's to be emotional and, and to be, you know, heavily invested in the outcome in an emotional way. You're heavily invested in the outcome, but you're just trying to get everyone to see it really from, you know, a cool, calm approach, um, you know, like kind of, calmly getting them through the process even though it may not be a very calm situation yeah um yeah so that is really a skill that's actually really really admirable i mean i think you (laughs) when you express your yourself um and your job to be taught i I don't you know you kind of downplay that aspect (laughs) about how many things you've got to kind of balance off in terms of dealing with clients and how to get them to that good end position each client is different as well because obviously you know everyone that we know, everyone's got their own unique characteristics and personalities. So you've got to be able to know how, you know, how you communicate with a particular client. It's not a one size fits all either. But it sounds like you've got it under control. And that's why, I mean, that's why you're a leader in your field, right? Because yeah, I suppose the more you deal with people, the better you, you, you get at anticipating what could happen with the next person. And I think you're also downplaying uh, your achievements and things like that, Toto. I know like you got awarded the Australia Day Medal in uh, 2012, I believe, um, for your work you did with ASIC, uh, which is which is amazing. Um, I, I just wonder when you are breaking barriers, right? Um, I mean, I'm coming from the perspective of uh, I'm in a very male-dominated industry. Um, there's not a lot of diversity. <laughs> so to even be an Asian woman in financial planning, I kind of find that I only look at how the barrier has been broken maybe 10 years later. I I know that when I'm in the moment, I'm not quite aware of what's happening. Are you aware of the barriers you have broken through the course of your journey? Yeah, I mean, I think that's also a a good point because you're sort of just in the process doing, just getting things done and you kind of just work work through it at the time. And Mm. and the thing that they say is that I think the statistics, um, as far as I recall, in law school, for example, there's there's either an even number of, males to females or there's a slightly a slight uh, overrepresentation of females to males in law school but mm. as their careers progress you find that dwindling in the other way yes. so obviously yes. um you know you and you end up essentially with males um holding the more senior um or senior positions in, in a firm or an organization mm. so so I, I always read about all of that but i think for me it was just yeah i read about it but i hadn't really um, you know, not not being in um, rooms or discussions where I was privy to, you know, people actually saying, well, 
you know, we, well, let's, let's put it this way. It's not explicit. It might be a bit mm. more subtle and implicit in terms of, um, yes. you know, how um, different genders might progress through an organisation. So, but where you are right now uh, as a principal at Bennett and Co, it, it's quite a female prominent en- environment. I mean, I've met some of the team, like they feel very comfortable in the environment as well. Is that what you gravitated to when you've gone there? Is that what you've you've also helped create yourself? Yeah. So look, uh, in in terms of the culture, I, mean, I, I you will be rewarded for you know on merit in the sense that mm. there's no, you know it's not an old boys club. Um, mm. You know that you know phrase is still being used, um, mm. and we when we you know interview candidates, it's really you know the best person for the job. So in terms of then businesses uh, or people going through that process if they're going to be a, a partner in a business, what are really the practical discussions they should be having before actually going into business? Because you did mention families as well, like families going yeah. to dispute. What should some of the conversations should have happened at the start before they've gotten to that point of a dispute? As lawyers, we often see where things went wrong and we always see risks that were not identified or managed well. Mm. So, you know, you need to be thinking about having discussions about who's actually going to be in the business, um, you know, what might be the appropriate business structure for what you want to do. Mm. Um, will it be a company, a partnership or a sole trader? Um, and will that structure help to minimise any risks when things go wrong? And then I suppose how, how will you actually manage the risk? Have you got things in systems or other um, processes in place to, to manage the risk? And by risk, I mean factors like, you know, um, market or economic risk, um, mm. legal and compliance, security, cybersecurity risks, so things like that. So depending on what what the business is going to be, um, I think those are some of the things, some of the the discussions that that you should certainly be having. What percentage of people do you think actually have those conversations at that appropriate level before going to business? Oh, look, if there if there were um, if there were only a minority of <laughs> not doing what they should be doing, I you know, yeah. you know I suspect that we'd be very um, not not seeing or not be able to help be in a position to help <laughs> these people have not yeah. had discussions before mm. have, you know things in place to assist. I'd like to say it's not common, but unfortunately we are seeing quite similar cases coming through where you know people have said. Well, yeah, went into a business with this person, knew him since we were children, or he was my wife's friend, and, you know, a couple of years later, you know, they went out because the other person's been, hasn't done the right thing. You know, you you and your former business partner might end up in court either buying your share out or your partner buying, you know, your share out at a price that the court determines. Uh, you might end up winding up the company and that's yeah. the end of business. And we see it in financial planning as well. You know, by the time we see someone and, and mistakes have been made, retrospectively, we just had a bit more time to plan. Yeah. Um, that That's where the benefit is, but then you're coming in after and then trying to unwind things. So I think, I don't know whether it's human nature, Toto, that, that we seem to rush into things without planning perhaps. I think I think part, partly that rushing into things and also trusting as well, I suspect. Trusting, yeah where mm. you know, I know this person or this person 
was introduced me introduced to me by a family member or something like that. Yeah. But then you you know you end up where, for example, you know one partner is in charge of all of the um, the books of the business and all okay. the admin and then the other part, business partner actually does the work or or performs the yeah. service that the business sells. And then we see that that partner who's actually doing all the work has their their hands off the wheel. They don't realise that they're being taken for a ride by their other partner. The partner that's handling the admin side or the business side of things, uh, you know, for example, are making payments to themselves and um, yes, all, all sorts of things. So and and there's no written agreements in place. Um, okay. Everything has you know verbal verbal agreements. Yeah, and and it's again, it's drawing that parallel to to marriages as well, right? Where sometimes you might have a partner that's more across the finances, right. and one that may not, because they say, "Oh, we're just doing division of labor here. I'll do what I'm good at and what I'm not." Um, and what Sarah was saying the last time was like, "Yeah, that you can do that and follow your skill set, but you you have a certain amount of responsibility yeah. to at least as a minimal step understand what's going on." So right. let's say if you are if you are the business partner that's more about the work um, and you're not really the one that has the business savvy, what do you think is the minimum you should be knowing about your business so that you can actually protect yourself for the future? You know, any agreements drawn up before you actually go into business. So if it's going to be a okay. company, get, you know, shareholders agreements um, drafted up or a partnership agreement, if it's going to be a partnership you know, make sure you get equal access to the books and records of the company. Um, mm. That shouldn't be an issue. I mean, you know, direct directors, you know, ordinarily have that that access in in any event. Um, keep a close eye on how, how the business is doing. Um, don't take your hands off the wheel. Um, I'm not saying that you know just because mm. that's your main skill set means that you know you ignore it because it's it's also your business as well. So. Yeah. Because we frequently seen, as I mentioned, you know, clients ended up going to court to, you know, to get a court order that a provisional liquidator be appointed to a company so they can, you know, mm. take control of all the assets that the other partner can't go and spend, spend, spend the um, spend or sell the assets, and that eventually the company be be wound up. So you know, importantly, yeah, get make sure you get agreements drafted get your own independent um, legal advice on the agreement just because your business partner says yeah we'll go and get it done together whose benefit is that or make sure that um, it's not benefiting one partner of the other in terms of business owners and being aware I think you're you're kind of talking to people in two folds you know before you enter business these are some of the things you should have but even if you're in the business if you're not really across things right now even though the trust is there like you're saying trust is not a bad thing, but it's been a cause for a lot of the disputes that you right. have. It's not really a reason for you not to know what's happening to your business. That's right. You know, what's the danger of going to a commercial or business partnership? Are there any written agreements on exit strategies? So whether that's an involuntary exit or a voluntary exit? Plenty of things can go wrong. And I think that if you, if you fail to have a well-drafted agreement to address exit strategies, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, then that's really a failure to be able to manage um, an internal business risk, you know, in in the event that something goes wrong, the relationship breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a well, well-drafted agreement, this helps to minimise. It won't necessarily prevent it, but it'll at least minim- minimise the risk of a worst-case scenario where you and your former business partner end up in court, go to court, and it's either 
we can't reach an agreement on you know the price the the, the buyout of shares for example then you've got you're, you're going to be stuck with the court determining what that price is and usually that price is not always won't necessarily be favorable to you the other you know worst case scenario is that you you end up going to the court appoint and then appointing a liquidator and then winding up the business what, what's at risk here if you've put any your personal guarantees for example any liabilities okay. i mean all that is potentially you know going to be at play um, if you end up having a dispute without a written agreement in place now i've got my financial advisor hat on and i'm going okay how how do i best position it but some of our listeners um maybe in banking they may be in financial advice do they really get a lawyer in to make sure that through the process their clients are actually looked after because it is certainly really important none of us would want our clients to go through a dispute i think if it's within our power to help you know try and prevent any of these things and we can refer them to someone that can help i mean what's the advice to those of us who could be seeing a potential client um through the process if a client had had concerns maybe about the the way that their business was was going and they were not you know not happy with you know the business partner or el- element um, of the business mm. well if the client mentions that they've been in disputes before or yeah um okay. is a red flag yeah we've seen a little bit of um you know parents who probably should be retired but are still quite involved in the business because you mentioned before families right families can end up in a dispute situation when they're not how do you intervene in those cases because it's actually quite a emotional not even emotional they they you know between even the child and the parent it's not a lot of rationality going there you know they they are kind of like quietly upset but it's going to boil over at some point at some point in the future how do you navigate that with families to kind of get them to seek some sort of external help and get it sorted now before it gets worse in the future So very occasionally you might think well look before people start ending up spending money and ending up going to court you might you know try and have a private mediation to see whether they can sort out the differences that way so that can be done with you know an independent third party that that mediates or that's going to be the mediator between the the the, the two um the two sides So that that's one form of trying to see whether the dispute can be resolved without the need to press the button and go to court. Okay. So that's yes, you said certainly, but if the families are, you know, refusing to speak each, to to each other and you know they're only responding to lawyers letters, um mm. there might not be a lot of options. You know, we don't really want clients to get to that point, but but people inevitably do. um and it comes down to also communicating and whether families can actually just put the time aside if they're in business together to actually get the right agreements even if they're not family members uh maybe even just having a checklist and you know if you're a listener who has a business right now you know do you have your agreements in place do you actually know what's happening with the financials um and like Toto is saying you know it's okay for you to go and get an independent specialist to look at you know any of your legal agreements or even your finances i think that's really good advice what what other tips would you have for business owners total so if there's something that you've learned through your journey that you can kind of impart you know besides setting up the agreements and being across what's there what else would you say is a really valuable thing to be aware of 
I mean, when I talk about things like family disputes, sometimes yeah. it's family disputes either in businesses or sometimes also disputes through a deceased estate situation. So, for example, where um, the deceased family member has made unequal provision to the beneficiaries under the will. Um, mm. Sometimes that gives rise, obviously, to, um, uh, you know, to, to conflict between beneficiaries or, you know, might be siblings. Yes. And things like that as to what they were entitled to un under the will. So yes. I suppose that goes into probably more the space of estate planning. So, you know, then you would seek the assistance of an estate planning specialist about um, how you draft a will. And obviously it's really up to the, you know, the test data or the tester treats as to what, what they want to put in their will. But mm. you know, mind you, once they've, you know, once they've passed on, they may not necessarily be aware of, or they may be aware of the ensuing conflict that then erupts. Uh, yeah. I think if possible, don't take shortcuts. So a shortcut for you, I gather, is also making a decision based on trusting someone. <laughs> would you consider that a shortcut a little bit? Because would that yeah, be considered well, a shortcut? That's right. Well, well, trusting <laughs> and then just not really taking any, your own sort of personal ownership or responsibility over. I, I, I like that because I think you've highlighted a very important point. Maybe we've, we've, we've had a number of podcasts, but I think we've, we've all skirted around the issue because we always see trust as a beneficial thing, but it's not your get out of jail free card <laughs> I think what you're saying it's unfortunate it can be problematic if you're not going to put in the work along with the trust we do have a number of uh, young women that listen to this podcast if they're wanting to dominate in their field um, and and dominating a field can be many different things it's you know it could be putting their their stamp or redefining their career you know just being able to really affect the communities that they serve what are your tips for them in being successful with that Keep up to date, be well informed in your chosen field or chosen area. Uh, if there's an opportunity to do a course in that field, go ahead, do it. Um, meet as many people as possible in, in, in your, um, your interest area. Reach out to some potential mentors, participate in any industry or networking events that are focused on your field. Um, start building up your profile as early as possible. Seek out both with, with mentors, I mean, seek out both informal and formal mentors. You might have one in, in your current organisation, but you can also have mentors outside the organisation. Um, yeah. Also sponsors, so pe people who are going to advocate for you and always, you know, have, have your interests at stake um, in, a, in an organisation. As an employee, I think try to get along with everybody in the organisation on, on a 360 degree level. So yes. know what everybody does, know everyone's roles and what, what they do, because you never know when you need to ask for help. I suppose finally, yeah, it's never too early to build your profile. So I think you just, you know, you need, need to go out there and, um, um, as I said, try and, try and meet as many people to get, you know, ideas, views, perspectives from others. That you did in your journey was that, you went between public sector and private sector and you were not really afraid to go between those different pathways. So um, you didn't lock yourself into one journey either. So I think like you're saying, I think your, your core message is develop yourself, develop yourself, know what everyone around you, get the expertise and the guidance of the people around you as well. Um, yes. And yeah, I think those are fantastic tips for someone trying to build their career moving forward. Thank you so much for giving us your time because Tora, I know you're so busy. <laughs> to give us time I, I suspect I hope you're not using your lunch break to talk to us no thank you Dawn thank you.
Subscribe now to be notified of new episodes. Let's change how the story ends. The information discussed during this episode includes strategies that are general in nature. As everyone's situation is different and the information discussed does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs, you should always seek personal advice with regard to your own personal circumstances.